0: Well, kia ora, hello, and welcome to the Coast Vineyard Podcast. Whether you're a regular or a first-time listener, it's so good to have you listening in. We hope and pray that wherever you may find yourself at today, that the message that you're about to hear would be helpful for your journey of faith. So, without further ado, let's get into this week's message. It's uh, wonderful to be here. My name's Phil, and uh, we have uh, been at... Some of you may have heard we've been at Ramati Beach Church for eight years. We pastored that. We used to be at Grace. Uh, We finished there, um, and we didn't know what to do, and we came back to Christchurch. We felt, I I missed the city. I missed the young people, and we said today we're just going to come back and just be part of church there and help, and uh, they were really pleased, and they've actually employed us. We do uh, eight hours each. But we said, we've written a new job description, we're going to do the things we want to do. I don't want to pastor a church like I did, administrative meetings, planning meetings, all that stuff. It's, yeah, it gets a bit boring for me. Um, I know there's some people here that love it. Um, but I, I, I said, we just want to be do pastoral, we want to do teaching, and I love doing prophetic um, we just want to flow in the Holy Spirit. So it's just a wonderful season. It's just like a grandparent. You just do the things with the kids you love doing. Uh, isn't that wonderful being a grandparent, eh? And uh, I thought, man, I i just realized, I, I roll, man. You roll as a grandparent, whatever they want, McDonald's, <laughs> treats, uh, sugar rush. <laughs> so it's a bit like that now uh, with us. So we're just really, really loving it. Um I'm just going to share a little bit, but I, I, I have a love for the prophetic, and I just wanted to bring a couple of words for people, and then I'm happy to pray later. Um, is it Caitlin? Yeah. I just wanted to encourage you. Can I stand down here? Just, uh, I saw you, and um, I. it's interesting how prophecy works. I just get a thought. I just get an impression. That's how it starts with me. And uh, people think, oh, you've got this hotline to heaven, and it's all open voice of heaven. It's not... Just a thought. And uh, I just saw you, and I saw like a honeypot, I saw like bees, and I saw actually, I think you're kind of a bit of a like Queen Bee there. <laughs> I feel that you're going to be, there's some honey that you're putting out, that you're drawing people with a, a lovely heart for people, and you're an influencer. You, you're going to have other women around you, other families. Uh, you're going to have fun together. You're going to do life together, and they're going to draw from your honey. And it's interesting how you have brands of honey and qualities of honey and manuka honey. And I just feel there's going to be high quality honey that's coming out of you, that to love people and to care for people. And uh, there's something about I see you're a child. I feel that like you're, you're a really good mother. I feel that like you you just is really important, but you're going to have other families with you. Yeah, so I just also feel, when you were singing, I feel at times um, that you need to... And I sometimes often say this to worship people. You get stuck up there. But sometimes I feel that you need to almost come and do what I'm doing, but sing the word of the Lord over people. You need to sing the prophetic song. And I feel that the prophetic song will break people open to the power of God, minister the power of God. And I just release over you now the anointing of God to prophetically sing and break yokes. And um, I feel the songs in you. um, Obviously, you sing, but I feel that... Songs and sounds, and and even in the church at times, just just flow with the song, and it can just change the atmosphere. Okay, bless you. Um, I was just uh, there's a couple over here, and uh, I just feel um, this couple here. Yeah, you two, and uh, it's lovely to meet you. <laughs> and uh, what's your name? Peter. Peter. I just I've been going through. I was reading about the life of Caleb, and uh, I saw when Caleb came into the land, he got his land, and he said, which is a strange thing, he said, "Give me another mountain." You know, he he wasn't happy. He and I it really challenged me because you get at this age, you can just cruise along and you just you're happy with it, which is good. But God has a further challenge, and I just felt that there's a, there's a whole sense of Caleb in you, a spirit of faith, a, a spirit, Holy Spirit. I, you t- you obviously husband husband. <laughs> there's something of you're full of Holy Spirit life. You're full of anointing. You're full of words. You're full of encouragement. And I feel at this stage, I just want to encourage people with words and bless people. And I just feel you guys are just I'm just bowl into people's lives with the word of the Lord. Just pray for them, bless them, speak healing, speak life. So I pray that you will have a happy life. <laughs> amen, amen. Um, just a few more. Um, you did the sheets or something, is it? Yeah. yeah. Sarah. It's interesting, again, the prophetic, I just sort of get from natural to spiritual. I saw you running as a run sheet, you know, <laughs> and often, again, I just see something and I just I just feel that something about you, you're walking around with this run sheet and you're doing an amazing job. You're an amazing person. You have an amazing ability to sort and to do things and um, you're very, very high capacity and you fill in gaps and help people. But I feel at times, I just feel God wants to run his own run sheet. (laughs) Sometimes you're going to just get downloads or you're going to just get the Holy Spirit prompt you that you're just, man, I've got a run sheet happening in my mind, bang, 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 and I get run sheets, this is in the spirit, and I feel that you're going to get these run sheets, and at times you have the sheet to do this, but then I'm just going to go spontaneous here, I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to, because you've got another word that's coming, God's going to interrupt you at times with this thing, the program can be interrupted, (laughs) but I just want to bless you, you're real, um, you have a real ability to Bring people together um, to organise and facilitate. You've got an amazing ability, but there's also a love of the Holy Spirit and a love for God. So bless you. Yeah. So, okay, I will just share a little bit, um, and then I'll hand over to Bron and she can fill in all the gaps. I I just want Bron's going to share more our history and um, family and stuff like that. But I, I've been a Christian for nearly 50 years. Man, you're walking in former lives now. And I was 18 when I came to the Lord, and I was at the Charismatic Renewal. Has anyone ever been to the Charismatic, heard the Charismatic Renewal? Probably not many. It was a few years ago, and it was actually a wonderful move of God. God was moving over all sorts of churches. I became a Christian then. And I've been a Christian for nearly 50 years and, but I want to say that the second half of my Christian life has been a lot happier been a lot freer. What happened I just and I'm covering a lot of things quickly but when I was in my 40s um, I I was going through probably what a midlife crisis and uh, I was in the work, I was struggling in my work, I was struggling with issues in my life of anxieties and fears and insecurities and depression that somehow I thought because I was a Christian that would automatically go away. Have you discovered that you can be saved and you still have this stuff? I was struggling with that. I was struggling with my boys, we've got an autistic son um, who was going through, we had to go into care. Bron's going to share more about that. whole issue. I was having an issue with my oldest son. He was going through struggles in his own mental health. I had a younger son who had gone into a rebellious phase of his life. Um, And I thought, it was one of those moments where life sort of overwhelms you with problems. And I had really, really struggled in prayer. I remember a prophetic woman said to me one time that you pray, but you feel like your prayers are bouncing off the ceilings. And, uh, but God is going to give you a spirit of prayer. And when she said that, I I identified with the prayers bouncing off the ceiling, but I could never understand. She said, you're going to have a spirit of prayer. Something about prayer is going to really change in your life. And that was the question I couldn't quite answer at the time. And so, in this season of my life, I just really changed some things. And I'd always read about, like Derek Prince's book, *The Power of Proclamation*. I'd read it, but I hadn't really done it. And I, I started in my prayer life to pray in a way of proclamation. I, I took the whole, all these words. I prayed for myself. I prayed. There was a like in their family line. There was depression things. There was anxieties. My grandfather had attempted suicide. My older brother had a mental breakdown, there was this whole anxiety thing riddled through my family line. And I just spoke to it and I just I just took authority and spoke. And this went on. I did this for about six months. I'd go for walks and I would declare this stuff over my life. I stood up against the anxieties, I stood against the fears, I stood up against the depression, I prayed for my boys. And it's wonderful thing, when you go kids go through trouble, it's better to be aggressive in prayer and gentle in person. We we you opposite, you know, often with teenagers, you <laughs> already It can be really, really difficult. And I want to encourage you in prayer to persevere and find a rhythm of prayer. And after six months, a number of things changed. My youngest son came, he was saying to his dad, I've been, I don't know where I've been. I knew he was where, he was in the struggling. He said, I'm, he cried, and so I'm coming back to the Lord. My oldest son was, came into another place again, he was just in his, he was all more settled. I found I changed. I felt there was this, whatever the spirit or the thing over my life was broken. I didn't worry as much. I didn't have, I didn't get depressed as much. You still can get difficult moments, but I felt something changed. Another thing I added to this, and I added um, praying in tongues. I had prayed in tongues, been filled with the spirit for years but I never prayed much in tongues, and I think that's the many people like that today, and I even find people have not even been started speaking in tongues, which is supernaturally speaking to God filled with the Spirit, and so I pray for people, but I find they never go on, and I went on, and I started to, I, I want to go deeper into this, and so I would pray, and I'd build up, and it was difficult at times, and my mind would wander, I'd, is this working, is this helping? But I, I kept going, and then I found I had a real breakthrough with it. And I have found I'm praying in the spirit almost all the time. You don't have to do it loudly; you can do it quietly. And I'm Brian. Is we're both into this, and um, and I feel a, a sense of nearness to God, and the whole sense of hey, I'm in a I'm in a happy place in God. But it just didn't happen like that. So it's something about. Prayer and walking with God—that has—it's changed my life. I think one of the things also, and I'll—I'll I'll finish in a minute. I think it's—it's it's really discovering, and this takes a long time, knowing yourself, knowing your giftings. And I—I'm saying something that doesn't just happen. That I know myself. I know my weaknesses now. I know I'm my strengths. I know my giftings, and I'm content to live with weaknesses. I am never going to be an administrative person. Okay, don't ever get me doing administration. <laughs> I'm never going to be, I actually struggle because I don't feel I have a strong leadership gift, um, but I lead in other ways, in the spirit, and, and Bron's probably got a stronger gift than that. I. It's knowing yourself, and it, it takes time. It's knowing your gifts, and I have the gift of, Pastoral care, teaching is another gift, and um, prophecy, gifts of the Holy Spirit. They are my th- three things that that is my flow. And when I flow in that, I'm, I'm just having fun. Uh, so God um, just wants us to flow in, in who we are and our giftings. I have a, a, a love for the prophetic. When we were Baptist pastors... Um, way back in the 90s, we had a prophetic ministry, came into a church and just kind of blew it away and blew me away. And I started, he started speaking of him like i going to start prophesying. I started prophesying. He spoke to Bron, you're going to start speaking. Bron never spoke before. He just released those gifts. The prophetic, I have loved the prophetic. I just want to say one thing in closing. I was thinking about coming here. And I was thinking of a, a term John Wimbus said, um, a wonderful thing. Who's the father of the vineyard movement? Said everyone plays, everyone plays, and he's talking about the gifts of the Spirit, how how we can all move in them. And I was asking the Lord, and I felt like the Lord said, a lot of people are not playing. They're not having fun. They're not. They're not flowing in the Holy Spirit. And what tends to happen is, I noticed a number of churches have become. I don't know, we're good with programs, we're good with events, we're good with excellence, all these things that are wonderful, but the spirit life has to be operating because it's always uncomfortable when the spirit moves. Whenever I prophesy, it's uncomfortable. Um, you have these things where you think, is it God or not God, or you, you go through all these questionings. So, and I feel that I, I love playing now. And even if I'm not running a church, which I'm not, I just sit in church, and I sit behind someone, and I say, Lord, what are you doing in that person's life? And I, I had a in the other church the other day. I had a word for them. I went and prayed for them. But you see, then I flow into how I teach them something, or I pastor them. I can flow in all of them. We can, We don't need a platform necessarily. I don't need to be up the front. I'm up the front. Here, but I can still flow when I'm sitting down there, when I'm meeting people. It's just releasing God. So anyway, I've said enough, braun.
1: Hi, I'm Bronnie, and uh, yeah, I'm just trying to give you a quick version of our story, and I want to share a message that's really been on my heart. Um, Three sons, married for 43 years, um, became a Christian at 25. Uh, God spoke to me when I was drunk. That was last week. No, I'm just joking. I was drunk 43 years ago. Um, so, um, and powerful conversion, like, from night to day. You know, I've been living in Sydney, I did my nursing training there, I was living the great life, having a lot of fun, and that's, people say, oh, it must have been terrible for you, Chris, and I was, well, I was actually having a lot of fun, but one of the problems is, there are passing pleasures in sin, but the fruit is not good, and, uh, very supernatural conversion, um, and, uh, you know. Audible voice, this life is not for you anymore. And I'm sitting in a restaurant drunk with my friends. And uh, it was only really a couple of weeks before um, I managed to, you know, I went somewhere with the, with some Christians, which was horrific to me. And, um, and, uh, and it was all sort of twin set and pearls, you know. Um, and uh, but I ended up, they prayed with me. And I woke up the next morning. And I tell you what, I was... Absolutely transformed. I was, and those were the days where you threw away all your Fleetwood Mac records and everything. I'm like, flipping heck, why couldn't I have just put them in a the cupboard for a few years? <laughs> stop dyeing my hair, stop wearing makeup, all of that. But church was kind of strict back then, but maybe that kind of suited me too. I think I needed to see the difference between the life I lived and what it was going to be like to be a follower of Jesus. Just before I became a follower of Jesus, I went to a Baha'i uh, Seals and Crofts concert. They were Baha'i faith. And some friends asked me around, you know, they were Baha'i and, you know, they were giving me all this food, baked with love, etc. And, um, and then they all passed out the dope. And I'm like, this is the life I've got. Why would I want this life? you know, uh, because the hound of heaven was on my trail. And we have had the most amazing, we've had a very difficult life and we've had the most wonderful life. The two are not mutually exclusive. Let me encourage you. I know it's been tough times and uh, they are not mutually excuse, uh, exclusive. We've got three sons. We were in India. I, we took a baby to India uh, of nine months. We had a son in India And um, then we came back to New Zealand. He was two. We had another uh, boy three years, four years later. But the boy, uh, Greggy, that was born in India, he, um, you know, this was at a time when people hadn't heard of autism, uh, when he he was perfectly normal, normal um, milestones, everything, and developing language, and then between the age of two and three, things really started to trouble us. But, you know... This is this beautiful-looking boy who's wa- doing everything, but then some strange behaviour started developing. In excessive anxiety, plus he started doing this. And uh, that's called stimming, for anyone that knows anything about autism. And the reason autistic people do that, and it's, it's quite amazing that they work this out, is they do it because with autism, you're like a computer who, who cannot process... And you cannot differentiate and shut down and place over there the information coming in. And so what autistic people often do is get something else to focus on. So that's what he was doing. And when we saw him doing that, we knew there was something terribly wrong. But we'd never heard of autism. Uh, We shifted to Taranaki to run a drug and alcohol clinic. And at that time, we really observed his speech wasn't developing. Plus, he was screaming, night and day. And um, you know, we had the stripy carpet, and uh, we all, without realising it, you become tyrannised, you know. And we all had to keep our feet up because he'd be down the other end of the room trying to follow the continuation of the stripes. And people were like, "Oh, how ridiculous! Just get him into shape, will you?" Well, I defy anyone that could have actually. People used to say, "I'll oh, give them to me for a week." I thought, "No, I'll give them to you." <laughs> um, <laughs> you know, people were like, oh, "I could sort them." We're like, "Okay then." And... Some of the crazy stuff we've had said to us over the years, do you think uh, herb tea? I said I'd paint the house with it if I thought it would work. Um, You know, sometimes even in the church, we're very inadequate, aren't we? And sometimes it's better to say nothing and just say, this looks difficult. I don't know what it feels like, but it looks difficult. You know, people will say, I know what it feels like. My dog's been barking last night or something. You're like... Whoa, no, you don't know. Anyway, as we went on, but, you know, we had a call on our lives. And we decided we're going to fulfill that call with Gregory. And we went to Baptist College, did training there, theological college, then came out and were pastors. But as Gregory went into puberty, he became extremely difficult because of, I guess, the testosterone and the anxiety. He started becoming very violent and he was biting us, scratching us, pulling our hair, and he was a tyrant. We couldn't... um, When I was on... I'm a nurse, and uh, when I was on night duty, because he liked to make sure everyone was in their beds and all that, so he could go to bed, he was like the... Gregory means night watchman. I thought, gosh, because in India, where we live, where he was born, someone used to go around at night banging a stick every hour just to make sure the robbers would go away. Of course, it woke us all up, but, you know... um, (laughs) And I thought, oh, there he is. He's the night watchman. So I'd have to get into my uniform, put my pyjamas on top, get into bed and wait till he was asleep so I could get in the car. And you, people say, oh, how ridiculous, you know. Why, he just has to learn. But it's not like that with autistic people. It really isn't. And um, so he became so difficult. He was smashing windows. He was hurting his brothers. He became oh, impossible. But we were, you know, this is our child, and our very besties said to us, you guys are so close to the edge. But we're like, well, what can we do? What can we do? You know, he's our boy. We can't send him off to strangers. But in the end, uh, this beautiful woman. And, you know, we didn't have many people in the church that understood. But Jesus has plenty of people out there that understand, even if they don't acknowledge him. I think we sometimes think we have the monopoly on kindness. We are all made in his image, even if they don't acknowledge him. We have had so much Jesus with skin on in help for Gregory and understanding for Gregory. And uh, she said, you guys can't do this anymore. And Gregory, um, at the time, there was no way to put a child into care unless you went to the social welfare and said you were unwilling to care for them. But she just said, forget about the words, you're unable to care for now. And so he went into care at 14, and it was two things. Here we go again, wonderful and difficult. We cried every night, like deep, lamenting cries. We had a girl living with us, and she said she heard us crying for about a month, and just crying. And then we had this other life going on. Oh, my goodness. Is this what normal life is like for families? You can actually go out for a walk without setting up Gregory. You can go to the shops. You don't have to leave everything early. Um, You know, because other people just couldn't cope with him. So Gregory's been in care. Gregory is now 40. I just want to tell you something very beautiful. And uh, can you put up Ephesians 3.20? And, of course, Gregory's always... um, He's always going to be something that's a tender spot in our hearts. We're not, we're functioning, I think we're very whole, but we've integrated this into our lives. And it's often, um, just that scripture, 320, Ephesians, please. It's not on there? Oh, okay. That's the scripture where it says um, that God can do more than you could ever hope or think. It more. So, we've been pastors all this time. Phil had a short time back in the police. He's not mean enough to be a policeman. Sorry. <laughs> he was letting everyone off. And No, he went into youth aid and he was wonderful in there. And there's some amazing policemen around. I'm just covering myself now. And um, But it's a tough culture. And I, most of them go in really wanting to do good, but it's really tough culture. So... Um, And I, you know, I've been a nurse. My last nursing job was in the hospice for eight years. And um, so Gregory's been in care all this time, and there's been lots of ups and downs. He's been locked in a prison cell for being autistic um, because we couldn't get the... They said, oh, well, Gregory, we can't take him into the psych unit. He he doesn't fit. And we're like, well, where's he going to fit? And so he got put in the jail cell for the night. Not for the night, just for a few hours, thank God, because our doctor came down and caused a bit of a riot. And they finally had to take him to the psych unit to try and... He just gets his fits of rage, and he's strong. He's 110 kilos and uh, 6 foot 1. And uh, and the rage is not purposefully... I don't believe there's a motive for the rage apart from incredible anxiety. So And when he gets that, if you're in front of him, you will get your hair pulled, or you will get bitten or something. It's quite primal. It's not this. He never uses his fists. Um but in the last 10 years, he's settled a lot more, and he's in a wonderful place in Levin. So when we were thinking about coming back to um, Christchurch uh, from Carperdy, because we've always had him where we've been, we, um, the thing we couldn't that seemed overwhelming was the thought of shifting him, because then you've got to get used to the staff again. the paperwork is phenomenal. You know, there were several years we had to fill out things to say he was still disabled. Hello? <laughs> but that's the kind of stuff that can go on for people, the kind, that sort of stuff. But I just, I can't do this again with another agency. It's really just they go and assess him again, and oh, and they talk to you about it, and, and you've got to act like, you know, yeah, yeah, I didn't know that about him. He likes to spend most of his time in his room. Um <laughs> And um, they even got him to have a job once, and I'm like, you've got to be kidding. You know, just put him on the bus, the, the pleasure bus or something, and go swimming. But they had this thing that everyone with a disability should have the right to work. But uh, there was no way he was going to work. They tried to get him picking up pine, c- pine cones once, and he just threw an almighty wobbly. He had no motivation for that, so when the people said, can we meet with you to talk about Greg's future employment, I said, what? "I said yes, I'll meet with you." And so when they sat down, <laughs> I said, "Hey, we're not going to talk about Greg's future employment. We're going to have a cup of coffee, and you just write something to say the mother refused to sign it, because that would, of course, Greg can't. Greg, Greg can't wash himself. Greg uh, has hardly any language. Um, he would have no purpose." He would see no purpose. In fact, it was very funny when he did some swimming. They were trying to get him into the special uh, swimming club. And he comes to the pool. He loves swimming. And he just jumps in the pool. And he jumps right in the middle of these synchronized swimmers. <laughs> he nearly, they nearly were catapulted out of the pool. He hasn't got any awareness of his presence and others'. You know, like, because he looks quite normal, sometimes you'd be at the supermarket with him, and he'll just push through a door and knock a few old ladies over and just keep walking. And everyone's like, oh, I don't know, he's autistic, you know. Uh, He doesn't have a lot of um, awareness of other people's feelings. But let me tell you, so we kept, God said he'd lead us in instalments, and he was speaking to us about going back to Christchurch. But there's Gregory, very settled in this beautiful home just half an hour from where his brother lives and from where we lived in the North Island. And um, so every time we talked about it, we cried and said, what are we going to do, you know? Um, And then Nick, his older brother, said to us, well, why don't we try something else? Because Gregory used to come home every few weeks for a couple of nights with us. He said, why don't I take him? And then you come up every six weeks and see him. And we're like, wow, that would be amazing. But we're kind of thinking that probably won't go. Hey? And the kids won't cope. Because uh, we hadn't mixed him with the grandchildren because when he shouts, it's frightening. And, but his Nick's kids are 15, 13, 10 and 9 now. And we thought, I think they'll manage. And um, so can you put the pictures up of Lovey and Gregory? Nick has an old, uh, has a youngest daughter and her Maori name is Araha Te which means loving heart. And Gregory is nearly 40, Lovey is nine, and she has formed the most amazing friendship with him. She texts me nearly every week, What's, have you heard anything about what Gregory's doing? And then there's the two other shots. They took Gregory out for a walk, and he loves lights. And look at this. He's her uncle, and she's his niece, but it's really light the other way around. God has done more than we could have ever hoped or thought. We were like, oh, don't upset him. We give him, give him his tea at 4 o'clock in the afternoon. And they're like, we're not doing that, Mum. You know, and he has had something added to his life. The very thing that we were worried about and distressed about has added to his life. It's added to our life, seeing Gregory have some relationships with people other than us. It's added to our oldest son's life who really lived through hell with Gregory and is now having this very lovely time with him. And Gregory is absolutely loving going to their house. He smiles, and Lovey told me he did... When Gregory's really happy, he does this. She said he's done five lots of that today, Brownie. That's what my grandchildren call me. So I just want... I just believe... A lot of the things and the messages we have, we've got a very common humanity, haven't we? I just believe this is a long, ongoing situation. I could never have believed that God could do that. It's brought such joy to us, incredible joy. Don't give up. Don't you feel like giving up? I mean, you feel like giving up. Just don't give up. Just remember that verse. He can do more than you can hope or dream. And the other thing I just wanted to talk about this morning was um, just about Matthew 11:28 28 to 30. Come to me, all you who are weary and burdened, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and humble in heart, and you will find rest for your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light." And I've been, I read a book two years ago, uh, if you could just put the picture, called um, Gentle and Lowly, The Heart of Christ for Sinners and Sufferers. And I really, it's the kind of book I keep beside me, and I pick it up and reread it. I've got it on Audible. It's the most beautiful, I believe, translation, interpretation of that scripture that I have ever seen. I guess I always thought, well, we come to him, we've got all these things we're doing, and Jesus says, no, finish that work, finish this, finish that, and you just do what's feeling good. But actually, what Jesus, this is, the amazing thing is, this is the only place in scripture where Jesus describes his own heart. And he says, I'm gentle and I'm lowly, humble, lowly is not a word we use now humble, approachable, i gentle. He doesn't say I'm a warrior king. He doesn't say I lead the, I'm i the lord of the angel armies. He says I'm. that's how he wants us to know him. And the amazing thing is, there's so many times in scripture when he says, come. Why don't we come? Yeah, I'm an extrovert. I would go to 20 other people to talk to them about Oh, guess what happened? And they said, and I said, and blah, blah, blah. You know, before sometimes, I would actually go to Jesus. I found it hard to even understand until, say, the last 10 or 20 years. What does that mean? People say, just lean into Jesus. You're like, flip, what does that mean? Do I get sort of, do some sort of little action where I'm leaning into Jesus? It's so simple we miss it. And I found, you know, it's been difficult years, hasn't it? Really difficult. And we went through a very painful time in the church where some people we absolutely loved took them into our whānau, um, treated them like our own children. Beautiful young people. And there was an upset, and it was one, one of those things you think, where the heck did that come from? But suddenly, everything accelerated, Um they refused to meet with us. Um, it was just incredible. And I tell you what, I we were heartbroken. I was sobbing night and day. I was just, it was just incredible. And I realized, and you know, every human friendship has its limitations. Every marriage has its limitations. There are some things we can only get from coming to Jesus. Every Pain and frustration and annoyance and lack of trust you might even feel in the church now can only be healed by coming to church and coming to Jesus. You know, when we feel hurt by the body, we get healed in the body. Now, obviously, if that's been abusive, that's not the body you get healed in. But you go somewhere where you think, you know you can trust the people. And trust takes time. But I, I realised then, I'm going to have to come to Jesus in a way I never have before. And you know in Romans it talks about that sometimes we have groanings and too deep for words. Well, I got this walk I could do and um, I actually walked it and there was no one around. And if they had seen me, well they could have just gone talking to the other neighbours about it. But um, I actually groaned and there was all this deep groaning that came out of me, like a wailing about the pain. And you know that healed me? I just did it until there was no more there. And I just gave myself to it. And I thought, Phil can't... He, I mean, he, he was in pain too, and we were encouraging to each other. But I, th- I think I drove one of my best friends mad just about because she had moved on and I was still there in my pain. And you see, and people can't carry that for us. When you're in pain, it's like you're on this marathon and they can be up on the sideline calling out, you can do this, stop for some water, I've got some food, maybe I can walk a bit of the journey, but people cannot, no one has been able to walk the whole journey with Phil and I, with Gregory. We've had many lonely times, but Jesus has walked with us. Even though, I'd love to tell you, I was aware of his presence all the time. I wasn't. But now I look back and think, oh my goodness, it was the grace of God we got through. It was just the grace of God we got through. When you have someone shouting at you, lots of times, for lots of hours, it's very easy to feel like you could give them a push. You know, when Phil was in the police, there was a woman who actually killed her own autistic child. The woman had terrible circumstances and um, she had no one else to help her. As she, And she did. She killed her. And, the, I mean, God's <laughs> grace is so amazing. The day she drove the body, it was in Palmerston North, she drove the body to the police station and Phil was on court duty that day. So he was able to say to her, I understand. And she only spent four months in prison. Uh, not that, you know... I mean, that's a terrible, terrible thing. But I tell you what, it's a terrible thing to feel you might, you could. You could push someone in such a way that they might fall and they might, yeah. And honestly, sometimes i walk down the hallway in the morning and thought, perhaps God's taken him. Isn't it great that God doesn't actually answer our prayers? (laughs) Because I couldn't see any way out of it. And some people here have got situations that they feel that there's no way out. And there isn't in a way. It's through. And from, you know, that whole thing of, you know, Jesus, you come. It's not physical loads he's going to be taking off us. Sometimes it might be. When we come to Jesus, he's telling us to come so he can unburden our soul. It's our soul that wears us out. It's not physical work. Burnout is to do with not attending to your soul not realising I should be saying no. You know, it took me years to learn to be able to say, no, I can't do that. It took a breakdown, actually. And now I'm so cautious about what I give myself to because we're flesh and blood. We're just flesh and blood, and we will wear out if we don't care for our souls. So this is what Jesus is saying. Take my yoke. Because what's his yoke? His, his yoke is understanding, I believe, how much he loves us. It's not about what we do. It's about what we be. But out of that then flows service. But if you get the two round the other way, it doesn't work. It really doesn't work. He's calling us. Come to the waters. Come... T- You know, are you hungry? I am the bread of life. But I don't know about you, I can tend to go elsewhere. Lose myself in Netflix series. Instead of actually like... And by come to him, I mean what I do now. My prayer is mainly silent. I sit and I just say, here I am. I don't have any... uh, music or anything, and I just wait. I call it toy-toy gazing, because we had toy-toys in our garden, and just sit there. And sometimes I feel uh, God speak, sometimes I just feel his peace. Everyone can do that. You can all sit in a chair, put your phone outside of the room. I love my phone. I've got a love affair with it, so I can't have it in the same room. When I'm wanting to have time with Jesus. But of course, Jesus is with us. He's within us. But we still need to intentionally come to him. It's an invitation. And if we don't take it up, we're going to miss out. We're going to try to get our help from everywhere else. And it will be great. There's wonderful things to get help. You know, there's all sorts of things. But as a believer in Jesus... To truly be healed, we have to come to Jesus, and he uses his people as well, but you still, no one else can have that relationship with Jesus but you. That is the single most important thing, and through that, you start to understand more and more the incredible love of God. Just incredible love of God. I feel so grateful for how God has led us. We have done all kinds of things. We've been missionaries. Uh, we've been pastors, um, you know, run churches, been part of a big team, um, replanted a church. And we have had the most wonderful life. But, a lot, uh, the, uh, you know, if you look at it as two tracks, the other part, we have had pain and suffering. And it's still, when we see our son, and then we have to take him back to the home, it's still painful for us, and it's painful for him. And he doesn't smile all the way back, and no one talks. He doesn't talk much anyway. But when we pick him up, he smiles from ear to ear. And when Nick and Amy pick him up now, and Lovey and the other children, he smiles from ear to ear. And uh, I think he's due to go home with them this week. And, um, and he follows Nick around all the time. Lovey said he's like Nick's apprentice now. Um, which is so lovely for our son Nick because he lived with a Gregory who was very aggressive, very impulsive. Um, and now he's getting to have this healing time with his brother. And, uh, and it's very comforting for us because we won't live forever. Um, well, we will but not on this earth, (laughs) and uh, to know that he he now has another family that love him. Um, But Jesus, I tell you, it's all about him. That's all I want to speak about these days. I just want to speak about Jesus. I want to lift him up. If we lift up Jesus, all people will be drawn. Jesus, the saviour of our souls. Jesus, you know, hung on a cross, suffered. Buried, resurrected, sent us the Holy Spirit. That's our focus. That needs to be our focus. And we need to keep coming to him, coming to him regularly. And I'm being completely honest in telling you I had to learn it again in my 60s. And this beautiful book actually helped me. It's absolutely wonderful. Wonderful. And it's just about the mist, and you don't even know you've got them sometimes. Like often when you're feeling like you've made mistakes or you've been sinning or whatever, we run away from Jesus. But no, run to Jesus. He's a high priest that sympathizes with us. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. He knows what it is to be tempted. And he was able to withhold temptation, so he knows how strong it is. He knows what it is to be discouraged, to be disappointed, to lose hope in church even. But let me really entreat you. The church is the bride of Christ. There's no plan B. And we don't get it right all the time. But find yourself a church and you've got one here. These guys are amazing. And talk about leadership off the pedestal and humble and godly. I wouldn't say that if I didn't believe it. We have seen them over years. Passionate lovers of Jesus. Passionate lovers of the Holy Spirit and passionate lovers of people. They are safe. And I know I need to say that because not all churches are safe. I don't believe they start out that way though. I believe they start out with a dream. But somewhere in the silliness of it all, people start believing their own fantasies. And churches aren't the the community, the place of refuge that they're meant to be. But don't stay out of church. I have honestly, church has been, I love church. And we've been in some quirky ones, even when we were running them. Um, (laughs) You know, sometimes I've said to Phil, "I'm sick of my own sermons. No wonder the people find it boring." You know, <laughs> um, but that's what family is. We do the quirky. We do the, the one who's you know putting everyone's nose out of joint. We do that. That's what family is. The family for us was an autistic boy screaming night and day. But I'm so grateful for the life we've had. We've had a wonderful, difficult. Amazing life because of Jesus. And I, we have fulfilled our calling. And we're at a stage now when we have the best wine. It's been saved to last. And suddenly the, the, there's, a, there's a mantle that's on you as a pastor, which is wonderful and terrible. Because you carry a weight. And you're carrying it willingly, but it is a weight and it's not a job you can just turn off from. It's a privilege and it's difficult at times. And pastors, and I know a lot of other people, I don't want to focus on pastors. I mean, people have lost businesses, people have lost friends. All kinds of things have happened in the last two years. And But this has been a difficult time for pastors who really want to to care for people. Um, We're going to Australia for two weeks to a church there and uh, just to do some pastoral care and to preach and that. And the pastor there, it's a church very much like this. Um, He said some people have left their church to go to a church that wouldn't allow any unvaccinated in, and they were allowing them in. And they were angry about that. So there's been some strange things that have happened through all this. Uh, And I guess, too, when pressure comes upon us, you know, when the water's low, the rocks show. But the thing we must never forget is the love of Jesus. And the problems we have with others, we need to bring them to Jesus. And maybe you need to go out for that walk in the forest and howl at the moon or whatever, you know. Let the deep. We've been given, it says, groanings too deep for words. That's a gift from the Holy Spirit. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Father. Thank you, Holy Spirit. You're brooding over us. You're brooding over us with your love, with your mercy, with your grace. Just still your hearts. I just feel this incredible sense of the Holy Spirit brooding, brooding over like Jesus brooded over Jerusalem with love, with love and concern. Maybe you have felt so disappointed you're struggling to come to Jesus. I know for me, when I've been disappointed, often my prayer life shut down. It's okay. It's okay. You can start. Anytime. Always available. And I'd really love to encourage you, not that I think there's... to actually wonder if people would like to stand and those who want to come up and let Phil and I and other leaders pray with you just to bless you in your coming to Jesus. And I know that coming up the front isn't magic, but it sometimes takes us putting a a flag in the sand to say, no matter what, Jesus, I need you. I need the body of Christ. I need your love, your grace, and your mercy. So I just encourage you as with the worship just in the background that you come up and pray. And Phil has got an amazing capacity for prayer and is very happy to pray and, and other people too. I'll pray with you also. And seek God and his Holy Spirit for encouraging words for you.
0: Well, thanks so much for joining us for today's message. We hope and pray that it's been most helpful. If you are keen to find out a little bit more about us as a church whānau or you'd like to touch base, then you can go to coast.org.nz and there you'll find information about our in person services, online services, various resources and activities. Enjoy the day and be blessed.